It's wonderful that so many of you have stepped up and registered to partner in future multifamily opportunities together. We follow a very strict vetting process when selecting our operating partners, and all of which have a serious track record, at least five years of experience, at least 2,500 doors that they've actually managed and owned, and over $250,000 of assets under management. These kind of guidelines help make sure that we are investing together in some phenomenal, phenomenal deals. And you can learn more by registering at the slash invest. These institutional style investments bring benefits to busy professionals and real estate entrepreneurs looking to reduce their taxes and increase their returns. And you can join us by getting started at the slash invest. I look forward to seeing you on the next deal. This is the Investor Mindset Podcast, and I'm Steven Pesavento. For as long as I can remember, I've been obsessed with understanding how we can think better, how we can be better, and how we can do better. And each episode, we explore lessons on motivation and mindset from the most successful real estate investors and entrepreneurs in the nation. All right, guys, welcome back to the Investor Mindset Podcast. I am blessed and grateful. I have Dave Meltzer in the studio today. How you doing, Dave? Phenomenal. I'm so appreciative to be here. Thanks so much. It is so amazing to have you. And if you guys don't know about David Meltzer, today is the day that's going to change your life. He, of course, is the co-founder of Sports One Marketing and formerly served as the CEO of the renowned Lee Steinberg Sports and entertainment agency, which was the inspiration for the movie Jerry Maguire. He's on a life mission to empower over a billion people to be happy. And this simple yet powerful mission has led him to create incredible value out in the world and doing amazing things for people. You know, he's a three times international best selling author, top 100 business coach, executive producer of Entrepreneur.com's number one digital business show, Elevator Pitch, and host to his own podcast called The Playbook. And I highly, highly recommend after you guys get done with this podcast, you hit play again and listen back through it because I guarantee you there's going to be some stuff within it that changed your life. Because when I first heard him, I listened to that same episode over and over again, and I encourage you to do the same. So I'm honored to have you here. I'm grateful for the inspiration you have. Are you ready to dive into things? Uh, I'm more than ready. I appreciate it. Okay, wonderful. Well, so you've had a lot of success. You've you've grown in some incredible ways throughout your life. You've impacted thousands, millions of people. Um, tell me, if we start out by looking back at earlier in your life, your childhood, what events or influences from your childhood shaped who you are today? You know, it's my relationship with money. Uh, I grew up poor and I grew up a victim. I grew up in a world of not enough. A mom who worked two jobs with six kids, packed our dinner in a paper bag and taught second grade and then filled up turnstiles at the 7-Eleven with greeting cards. Uh, so in my mind, my relationship with money was a scarce one and I wanted to get as much money as I could so I could buy my mom a house and a car. And everything that I did as a child was directed to, can I be rich enough to buy my mom a house and a car? And so whether it was to be a professional athlete, whether it to be, my mom had a saying, doctor, lawyer, or failure. So when I got ran over in college by Christian Okoye, I remember being lying on my back saying, doctor, lawyer, or failure. Uh, I didn't like hospitals. My brother told me to be more interested than interesting. So I went the law route. And all of my decisions, all the way through the time where I ended up losing $100 million, over $100 million, mostly in real estate, 
you know, the, everything was around the fact that money could buy me happiness and love. And it just kept reoccurring and reaffirming because I was a millionaire nine months out of law school and I was a multimillionaire by the time I was 30. Yeah. I mean, and that's incredible, right? So this, this, this need, this desire to go and, you know, create income to create money in your life so that you didn't live that same way that, that you were growing up. What changed for you that had you start focusing on something different? Because obviously money came to you and you went and found it and it, and it dramatically changed your life. But where was that shift for, from focusing on, I've got to have it to, I have it. And now what else? Yeah. So I went from the world of not enough into a world of just enough. And I just enough of everything for me. Everything was a trade. I was extremely generous, but I always would give money to get recognition or acknowledgement or some sort of trade that was uh, about anything that I gave. You know, I wanted to be my mom's favorite child. So I bought her the house and the car. You know, everything had a condition or a judgment tied to it. Three things happened in my life. Uh, three great lessons. Uh, the first one happened when I was 30 years old. Uh, I was a multimillionaire at 30, extremely blessed in my dream home with my dream girl. I actually married the girl that I fell in love with at sixth grade camp. I asked my best friend at sixth grade camp to ask her to go steady. She said, no, tell him to ask me himself. And so I threw an egg at her. So it was a long journey uh, to get her to marry me. In fact, uh, she hates when I say it because it's not true, as you'll find out. But I, I felt as if part of the reason my wife loved me now was because I had a lot of money. I, once again, everything was about, I needed to define myself by how much money I made. And when I was 30 years old, my father, who was my hero when I was five, the biggest guilt that I still hold with me today is my dad did not give child support. He it was the seventies. So there wasn't the big deadbeat dad problem, but he, uh, he was my hero. He was rich. He had a beautiful uh, wife that was closer to my age than his. He drove a convertible Cadillac. And I used to tell my mom while we we're driving, you know, in between those two jobs in the country squire station wagon that would break down and I'd catch her crying over the financial stresses that my dad was causing us. <laughs> I tell her, why can't you be more like dad, mom? And so at 30 years old though, uh, my dad gave me a birthday present. Uh, it was the first birthday present I got in 20 years. Uh, at 10 years old, he forgot my birthday and I got mad at him. And what made it worse was he lied to me and say, said he didn't forget my birthday. He doesn't believe in birthdays. At that moment at 10 years old, my dad went from hero to zero because I knew he was a liar, that he was a cheater, that he was a manipulator, overseller and back end seller. And I hated him. And so for 20 years, I had a very difficult relationship with my father. One, once again, that was based off of money, uh, you know, and I learned the truth about what he had done to my mom and what he'd done to the family. And I just couldn't get over it. But at 30 years old, my dad gave me my first birthday present in 20 years, a beautiful sport coat, fit perfectly. And I tried it on. I remember crying when I tried it on. My wife's like, what's the matter? I'm like, gosh, it fits me. Like he actually cared enough to find out what size I wore. And I opened up the jacket and he had tor torn out all the lining, all the pockets. I immediately got enraged. I called him up. I said, what, what are, is this skip? Why, why are you punishing me? He said, what are you talking about punishing you? I said, why would you send me a coat that I can't wear? He goes, because it's not for wearing. I'm like, what, what do you mean it's not for wearing? He goes, Dave, that coat's to be hung in your closet until you die. It's there to remind you that you can't take anything with you when you're gone. It's there to remind you you're just like me. 
I said, I'm nothing like you. You're a liar, a cheater, a manipulator, oversaw, back and I'm nothing like you. F you. And I hung up on him. Six years later, when I was 36 years old, this is two years before I lost everything. I went golfing. I was running Lee Steinberg Sports and Entertainment. That is, you know, the most notable sports agency in the world. I had access to the Super Bowl, Pro Bowl, Masters, Kentucky Derby. I surrounded myself with the greatest athletes, celebrities, and entertainers in the world. I had a dream job. And I came, uh, went golfing with my best friend, Rob, the guy who asked my wife to go steady for me at sixth grade camp. And I asked Rob, I said, how come you don't hang out with me anymore? I said, we could hang out at the greatest events with the greatest people on earth. He said, I don't like who you hang out with and I don't like what they do. I said, well, I'm not doing the things that those guys are doing. Come on, Rob, just come, come with me. He said, Dave, you can lie to me, but don't lie to yourself. I was heartbroken when I left. That's my best friend since the fourth grade. And he was the first, and the reason I was heartbroken isn't what he said. The reason I was heartbroken is that was truly the second glimpse, but I was old enough now, 36. That was the second glimpse of the truth. And he was the only one next to my father to tell me the truth. Everybody else in my life was a bunch of yes people. Everybody else sucked up to me. My relatives, my friends, my family, they all wanted something to trade with me. And they knew that if they gave me recognition and an ego boost, that I would get them whatever they want, cars and and houses, I mean, uh, you know, houses, cars, loans, money, whatever it was. Two weeks later, my life changed. Uh, And it was the third and final straw that broke the camel's back. I came home at 5.30 in the morning, uh, intoxicated and high. I was partying with a guy named Little John. We went to the Grammy Awards together. He was being awarded. It was cool, Uh, but I had lied to my wife. I had uh, told her I was going to a business meeting. I changed clothes in the car because I knew she wouldn't let me go because I'd not spent enough time at home. I'd been partying way too much. And uh, I came home 5.30 in the morning, and there was the third truth, as I call it. My wife stopped me coming in, told me that she wasn't happy and that I better take stock in who I was, take inventory of who I was, uh, or I was going to end up dead. And for sure, without her, she was leaving. I wish I would have told you, I immediately said, oh my gosh, you're right. I, I did. I got mad. And I told her, how dare you? How dare you tell me that? Look around you. Who do you think provides all this stuff? And I just threw the ego book at her as hard as I could. And I went to my room and I woke up in the morning even more upset thinking about how I could take all my money and all my houses and all my golf course and my scheme out and my kids away from her. I was so pissed, so lost. And then I looked over and in the closet, shining like my head is shining right now. I hadn't seen that jacket, man. It was staring at me, telling me, man, you're just like your dad. Yeah. Everything you hate about your father, that's you, buddy. You are a liar, cheater, a manipulator, back-end seller, an overseller, and you better take stock in who you are. And that's what changed my life. And so I started taking inventory of my values. And it's something that I suggest that people do today. Take inventory of your values and know who you are. And when you know who you are and you have the right mindset, it doesn't matter what's happening. There's always opportunity. I was called the mindset of millionaires, the margins of millionaires. More millionaires were made during the depression. There'll be more millionaires, especially in real estate made right now than any other time. And it's the people that are going to take inventory of their values like I did. And that prepared me for 2008. 2008, I lost over $100 million. 
made it right back with the mindset. I was not bothered at all. And I've never been more prepared, more ready and more situated to be successful, not only for myself, but you know, I do free training for the last 20 years on Fridays mm -hmm. to empower over a billion people to be happy, getting their things in control, their mindset, what they think they do and believe, understanding their conscious, subconscious and unconscious continuum to give them that inventory, to give them and empower them this great virus of happiness that can be spread by witnessing it and strengthens your immune system. I mean, it's like so touching as I hear you talk about this and I can feel the emotion. You're making me want to tear up thinking about that moment of realizing that everything that you had been going for, everything that you thought was what life was about in that moment, you realize it was actually everything that you hated. And, and it's not that money was bad and it wasn't the pursuit of money that was bad, but it sounds like it was actually the approach and the way that you were looking at life. And I think that's such a good reminder because we all are running into challenges at different times. Right. And lots of people might experience similar challenges to what you did where there's big losses. But being able to check into those values and really understand, like, who am I? What do I value? What matters most to me is one of the quickest ways to make sure that you don't go down that wrong path because if you wouldn't have done that right there, David, I mean, there's a chance that who knows what kind of stuff could have happened, because when you get into that kind of negative place and you lose a hundred million dollars, it's everything that was making up who you are, I imagine. Yeah. What I realized, you know, money uh, and I, I was buying more things, different things, things I didn't need to impress people I didn't like you know, and money doesn't buy happiness or love. But my motto and my trademark in life is make a lot of money to help a lot of people and have a lot of fun. Money's super important to me. There's a blend of two currencies, money being one of them, an object of energy you put into flow to get to what you want, but also the blend of faith, the aggregate of what I think they do believe my values. And you blend those. And so for me, money is terrific because it allows me to shop. Uh, and if I shop for the right things, I'm going to be super happy. And if I shop for the wrong things to impress people for things that I don't need, I'm going to be very empty, shallow and unhappy. And that was the key difference of my energy. What I did was went from that world of just for me, a filled world where I was buying all kinds of things that I didn't need to impress people I didn't like into a world of more than enough. When I started realizing my values were my personal values, health, family, love, integrity, all the things that I live by, experiential values, changing to experiences that were fulfilling, ones that empowered other people, not just filled myself. And then understanding the nuance between giving and receiving values that instead of receiving for me and feeling guilty and empty and shallow, I receive through me mm. for others. I appreciate everything I receive. And I also appreciate it in the respect that not only do I give it gratitude, but I add value to it and give it away. So what inspires me every day is that I know my what. I know my what. Everybody knows their why. Why is to help somebody or something. But I know my what is, and, and I allow that to come through me. So when I see a lot of money, I already have it spent on community centers and scholarships and relief aid for New York or food or whatever it would be. And it means and gives meaning to everything I see. I think that makes so much sense. And, you know, when when you have success and you're kind of putting things out there to give and to to go and do great things in the world, it seems 
like one of the one things that I always talk with a lot of folks and and I wouldn't say I'm where I want to be. And I think we always are kind of moving the goalposts as we're growing. But when for the folks that are not at a place where they feel like they can give because what they really need right now is to receive. They need to go out and like create value in the world and and receive back in return because, you know, they're worried about their next paycheck or those things. How do you trans how do you translate that? that manifesting of being a vessel of having greatness come through you out into the world to give back while you're also worrying about where is that next check going to come from or how am I going to make this giant payment on all of these properties that we have if there's some kind of issue going on? Yeah. So you have to stabilize and then grow. And so we can't ignore the pain and pain is mental, physical, spiritual, emotional, and financial. First of all, we have to identify pain as an indicator. That's all it is. It's an indicator that you have a lesson to to learn. So we have to take all of our capabilities, our skills that we have want or need, our knowledge that we have want or need, and then apply the ultimate sustainable dependent variable that makes all people successful. And that's the desire to be what you must be the desire that you must be what you can be. This desire overcomes all of the pain because you're just searching for the light, the love and the lessons and everything. And so not only do I take inventory of my values, but after I know my values, I then utilize an ask and attract strategy. It's a duality. An ask and attract strategy allows me to ask people how I can provide value or service to them that actually creates or makes room for what I want. And I use open-ended questions. You know, what are you doing today? What do you like about it? What don't you like it? Would it help you if I did this? That provides opportunity. And then illustrating radical humility by asking people, not seeing everybody like I used to see everybody as a gatekeeper. I used to pride myself and run huge sales forces and pride myself on training people to overcome objections, to overcome things. And there's gatekeepers and how do you get through the gatekeeper? Once I shifted my perspective to everybody was my sponsor. They were either a sponsor or a power sponsor. Then I could ask with humility, hey, do you know anyone that can help me? Because a sponsor is somebody that knows someone that can help you. And a power sponsor is somebody that can help you and knows somebody that can help you. Once I lessen the resistance and could create effortless relationships and effortless value, both on what I could do to be of service or value and how I could ask for service or value from others by utilizing and leveraging their capabilities, their skills, their knowledge, and in increasing my desire by helping others, by utilizing happiness, and that energy that's created. If anyone's out there that's anxious, depressed, even suicidal, not only should you seek professional help, go do something for somebody else. Go do a good deed. I don't care. It doesn't have to be money, right? I, I'll tell you, go get a stick and go pick up trash in your neighborhood. Watch when you come back how good you feel, right? Go, go help somebody. Call, go down your list in, in your phone and just call and say, hey man, is there anything I can do for you? I was just thinking about you. Watch how good you feel in just a matter of minutes. That's the ask and attract in person, on the phone, via email and media, radio, print, TV, and social media. I do it every day. The difference of where I am in my life is that when I was young, most people when you asked them for help only knew a few people. They were in their golf game or their card game or the church group. Nowadays, most people know at least a thousand people. If you're asking everybody, you can bang 40,000 people and get into your network every day. That's 120,000 people in a month. That's more 
people than live in most counties. Yeah, it's incredible, like what's possible today with the Internet, with social media, with a platform to be able to reach lots of people and really be able to help serve, especially if you're, you know, you know, uh, if you're clear on what it is that you are able to ask for and you're asking and creating that space for other people to want to ask you the same thing. So there's something you talk about, and it's this idea of helping empower a billion people to be happy. And you really live it. Like when I hear you talk, I can tell that you're really focused on serving others. And you talk about this idea that I every time I hear it, I just get excited. And it's this idea of living with gratitude, empathy, accountability, and effective communication, and how that allows greatness to come through you to serve others. Can you talk to us a little bit more about it and how you ended up discovering this? Yeah, well, I've been teaching this for 20 years, inside and outside. That's why every Friday, free training is 11 a.m. Come join me. You, you know, nothing's going to be sold to you except for those four things. Uh, but th those were what I came up with as I did an inventory way back there when I was 36 years old. I realized that number one, gratitude was the most powerful thing in the world. That gratitude made time timelessness. It made my past great, my present better, and my future even brighter. That if I could live life with a lens of gratitude, finding the light, the love, and the lesson, seeing all the pain that exists in the world as an indicator that I just had a lesson to learn, that that was the most powerful mindset, the mindset of an investor. When you can find the light, the love and the lessons and everything. What I realized, especially when I ran the sports agency where most people were not only jealous of my job, but they were jealous of all the people I represented. And they thought that there was some perfect job or some perfect world where you're so lucky. Even my wife used to say to me, you're so lucky. You love what you do. I said, let me just tell you this. There's activity I get paid for and activity I don't get paid for. There is a percentage of all the activity that I do. There is a percentage that I love inherently. I don't know. Sometimes it's 1%. Other times it's 99%. But there's never 100% love. And that anyone that has activity they get paid for or activity they don't get paid for, you need to learn to love the percentage you don't inherently love. And so I started the practice of gratitude, of finding love and lessons. I found how to learn to love every single activity that I had. And that changed the entire lineage of time. It made things timeless because I enjoyed the consistent every day, persistent without quit pursuit of my potential. And then moving from there, forgiveness gave me peace. You know, I realized that I had created a whole bunch of interference, corrosion, ego-based consciousness that I had to forgive myself for. And that if I could practice ending fear, one of the five attributes of success and one of the biggest practices of life. And I'll share a quick story because this is so important to me how forgiveness comes in because people don't understand the subtlety of practicing ending fear. Uh, I, I'm a ferocious Buddha. What, what I mean by that is that I identify when I'm in fear. Fear could be the need to be right, the need to be offended, the need to be resentful, separate, inferior, superior, angry, anxious, guilty. Everybody knows these emotions. And if you're thinking about how much time, resources, and money you've lost because you have accelerated in the wrong trajectory using this ego-based consciousness, we could save the entire world 18 million times over because I've lost millions of dollars in ego-based consciousness. But the subtleties of practicing ending fear can change your life. I am ferocious. When I now identify I'm an ego-based consciousness, I use all my ferociousness to stop. Do you know how hard it is to stop when you're in an argument with your wife about being right or 
when you're offended because someone says something attacking thought about you, you know how hard it is to stop? So hard. That's ferociousness. Exactly. That's where you got to be ferocious. And then be a Buddha. Be a Buddha after you, you, you stop and lower down into neutral. Find that higher frequency, the truth. Calm down. Breathe through your nose, out through your mouth. Get clarity, balance, and focus by breathing by being settled and calm, then you can roll in the right trajectory. Quick story, because it will change people's lives. Uh, two ways. I'm going to teach a routine because routine as an investor mindset is extremely important. So I have two routines, a set routine and an adaptable routine. Set routine is I live my life to wake up at 4 a.m. every day. I meditate for 20 minutes to hide my find my highest frequency so I don't live the myth of Sisyphus. I plateau and grow every day. I don't hold a boulder up to the top of the hill and let it roll down every morning. I have a high frequency because of meditation. I get ready for 10 minutes and I go to the gym for an hour. I come home at 5.30. I then from 5.30 to 6.30 do research, a student in my calendar. That means I pay attention to, I give attention to the coincidences I want of what I planned, don't plan, and sleep. Then 6.30 to 7.30, everything's off with the family. 7.30 to 8.15, I do coaching calls, and then I execute on a student of the calendar until 4.45. 4.45, I do more coaching calls, and then I have 5.30 to 7.30 time off, 7.30 to 9, research again, student in my calendar. 9 o'clock, I have a wine down routine so that I pass out before 11 o'clock. Adaptable routines just by values. I wake up a Saturday morning, 4 a.m. right on time, have a great meditation. I'm at a high, high frequency. I get ready. I walk outside. I am glowing because my energy is so high and my 17-year-old daughter's car is missing. I immediately lose the Buddha and now I am an ego-based consciousness and I grab my phone and I'm about to say, where the F are you? Where the F is your car? And I am ferocious enough for the first time in my life in a real serious ego situation, I stop. I'm so proud of myself, I stop and I say to myself, why are you so mad? And I breathe and I realize I'm not mad, I'm terrified. I'm terrified something has happened to the most important people in my life, one of the most important people who I'm responsible for and I'm terrified. And as I calm down, I pick back up the phone and I call with a very calm voice and my daughter answers and I wake her. Where are you? I'm sleeping, Dad. Where? In my bed. Oh, where's your car? Oh, Dad, kids were drinking last night, and you told me when kids were drinking to leave my car and Uber home. Now, I'm smart enough to know what kids are drinking means. And I said, oh, okay. I said, I'm really proud of you. We'll go get it when you wake up. Sorry for waking you. She said, thanks, Daddy. I love you. Why is that so important? I get choked up thinking because I've ruined my life so many different times by not utilizing the practice of ending fear. And if you're going to take away something from here, listen to what would have happened. I would have called her and said, where the F are you? Where the F is your car? And she would have said, F you. You told me to do this. And I would have said, oh, yeah, I'm going to take your car and your phone. Yeah. And guess what? She would have said, F you and hung up on me like I hung up on my dad. And guess what would happen next? The next time kids are drinking, she would have jumped in her car. And not only may her life have changed, my life had changed, but even worse, somebody else's life may have changed completely. These subtleties, one little phone call, one little ego-based trajectory of acceleration, and this happens in business and in life every day. You need to practice ending fear in order to effectuate the truth consciousness to create productivity, accessibility, and gratitude. 
That's where forgiveness, if you don't forgive yourself, you'll never be able to get back to center. You need to be a hypocrite and say, I'm on a journey to learn these lessons. The lessons keep on coming and I keep on learning it. Third was accountability, real simple. What did I do to attract it to myself and what am I supposed to learn from it? And then finally, effective communication is understanding the duality of communication. I'm always connected to and communicating to the greatest source of light, love and lessons. I'm the one through ego that creates the interference and corrosion to that. As I communicate, I'm like a solar panel and a battery. I suck in all the energy, but I appreciate the energy. I'm grateful for it, forgiving for it, accountable for it, but I appreciate it. And then, like I told you earlier, I clear the connection to what it's for to allow it to come through me, communicate to others effectively, like my daughter, right? I grab the light, I let it come through me with appreciation, and I gave it to my daughter, creating a stronger bond better decision-making, a more abundant world. And for 20 years, I've been teaching these and other types of theoretical and pragmatic advice in order to effectuate three things, making a lot of money, to help a lot of people, and have a lot of fun. In other words, I teach people not only to be happy for themselves, but make other people happy to make other people happy. I used to tell people when I was a kid I'd be a billionaire. Nobody really laughed at me. They actually thought I had the capability. When I started telling people that I was going to create a collective consciousness with over a billion people on earth to be happy, people make fun of me until they hear how I'm going to do it because I'm going to find a thousand people like you and hopefully some of the people listening that will come to my trainings on Friday and be able to empower another thousand to empower another thousand to be happy. A thousand times a thousand is a million, a million times a thousand is a billion. I'm going to do a one person at a time over my lifetime for the next 60 years if it takes me that long and I'm on my way. And when I explain it to people and they see the capabilities that I have in this direction to inspire people to do this, nobody doubts me. They don't laugh at me. They don't scoff at me. They don't make fun of me anymore. They applaud me and they join me in the effort. I can't recommend it enough to make sure that you guys join on these Friday trainings or watch the recordings after. We will absolutely include a link in the show notes down below for you guys so you can get access to that. I've been to multiple of them. They've changed my life. That's why we're sitting talking with David today because he's made an impact on me and I want to make sure that he can make an impact on all of you guys and so on and so forth. So I know we're short on time and I have so much I want to talk about, but let's jump into the growth rapid fire round where the questions are quick, but the answers don't need to be. And uh, tell us what's a book that's impacted your life the most or one you're excited about right now? You know, Think and Grow Rich. Uh, I read it every day. Course in Miracles, I read it every day. Think and Grow Rich is more pragmatic with the blend that I talked about of monetary and faith and Course in Miracles, all mindset and perspective. Most challenging thing I've read is five and a half years that I've been reading it. And I just got this book from Evan Carmichael, who some of you may know, mm. Built to Serve. So I just started that. That's what I'm reading right now. Oh, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. So tell us, inspiration, what impact have mentors made on your life and how do you look at going out and finding great mentors? One of my favorite questions because the first part of the question is it ruined my life because I didn't get any mentors. I thought I was Midas because everybody told me I was Midas. And so my ego wouldn't allow me to ask for help. Mm. And then when I started later in my life, understanding that at all times in my life, I need at least 
three mentors, people that sit in the situation that I want to be in. It's really simple. I want to be in that situation. This person has effective communication. This person has a great relationship with money. Uh, my mom is a mentor to be a parent, right? I can't find a better mentor than my mom who raised six kids. Five of them went to the Ivy Leagues and graduated summa cum laude. And they're all wonderful, help, healthy, happy, fulfilled people with beautiful families. That's my mentor. The key to mentorship is asking. Because once you realize when you ask somebody for their mentorship, you have given them the biggest gift that they could ever give them. There's no way you could ever make anyone feel any better than say, hey, I need your help because of what you know, what you've learned because of your capabilities. Can you share that to make my life better? You will instantly make that person and nine out of 10 people will say yes. The other one is just a matter of time or emotion that it's just not a good time or emotionally they're not set to help you. But there's always you're giving the value, not asking for value when you ask for help from a mentor. But be very strategic. Do your research. Be more interested than interesting. Find a mentor. You know, if you're in real estate, for example. If you're not looking up who has 40 years experience in your area, not only geographic area, but the area of your expertise, syndication, flipping, you know, multifamily, they're always there, right? Real estate is one of the oldest business. In fact, all the laws in America are made to protect the landowner. So real estate is the best business you can get into. That's from a legal perspective as well as recovering lawyer. You need to ask for help. Go find, because all you need to do is say, hey man, can you tell me when it's oversold? Now you know to go buy. And then go ask them, hey, do you know when it's overbought? Now you know it's time to sell. And they'll also know and have relationships with the best title, insurance, all these different strategies, because they've paid the dummy tax. What makes me such a great mentor is I've paid a ton of dummy tax and I illuminate the mistakes that I made. I've learned my lessons and I'm not afraid. I don't need to be perfect to all the people that learn from me. They love the fact that I'm like, look, I was an idiot. This is what I learned from being an idiot. Don't be an idiot like me. <laughs> this is the key. <laughs> I love that. I mean, your your humility comes through every single time you speak. And I know that's something you've worked on. And I am just, uh, just want to point out that it's really powerful because it's a reminder that no matter how big you get, you can't let your head get that big. Yeah, I'm still learning. You know, this is new for me as well. I've never been stuck in a closet for two months. I've never had it within a day instantly change. Remember, one of my core business is sports marketing, mm -hmm. right? There's no big gatherings until they get a vaccine. Mm -hmm. there, there will be no huge gatherings, no Super Bowls, Pro Bowls, Masters, Kentucky Derby, all the places where I've made my money for the last 20 years. They're not happening until you get a vaccine. But I used and went back to my, my basics inventory my values. I went back and I've never made more money, helped more people or had more fun in the last eight weeks. It's incredible how you can just change the outlook on it. And then all of a sudden it's a better experience, right? I feel like there's a lot of value that came in from being on lockdown. So uh, finishing on this purpose, what drives you to live your best life every day? That's easy. Empowering others to empower others to be happy. Without a doubt, starting with the people most relative to me, I think that's important for people to know, right? It starts with my own wife and children and then my mom and then my siblings and then my associates and then my community, then my state, then my country, then the world. But it's all about empowering those spheres of influence to empower other spheres of influence to empower other spheres of influence. I promise you, if we can get everyone just to have a happiness mindset to find the light, love and lessons in every, you're talking about more than enough of everything for everyone. I think 
think one of the things we're realizing by this pause is how much we actually have. Yes, we have to question our existence and we can't take it for granted. But one of the greatest gifts that we've all been given is, you know what? I have a lot. Like I'm not, you know, for me, I'll, I'll value, I, you can, I'll trade you right now. Anyone, my Super Bowl tickets to next year's Super Bowl to have this many dinners with my family. Mm. That's without a doubt. I'd pay money every night to have dinner with my family. That's incredible. Well, thank you so much for so much inspiration. Thank you for being here. Where should people go to find out more about you or get in touch? That'd be great. They can email me directly, david at dmeltzer.com, dmeltzer.com. They can search David Meltzer at David Meltzer on all the platforms. And I have a text number. So if you want to register for the free training, text me at 949-298-2905. My trainings are always free. Stephen will tell you, I don't sell anything on them. They're there to empower you, to empower others. It's one hour of your life with Q&A. You'll love it. Please invite everyone to join us. We're going to have a great time Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern. Love it. Absolutely encourage you guys to be there. Thank you so much, David. I look forward to the next time we get to do this. And I leave you guys as I always leave you remembering to live a life worth inspiring others. And you can do so today by applying some of the lessons that David's been able to share with us in your own life and business and pass it along to someone else. Thanks so much, guys. Thank you for listening to the Investor Mindset Podcast. If you like what you heard, make sure to rate, review, subscribe, and share it with a friend. Head over to theinvestormindset.com to join the Insider Club, where we share tools and strategies from the top investors and entrepreneurs on how to take it to the next level.